So someone said a word earlier when we had that time of encouragement for freedom. We've been, been set free. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to, um, firstly, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. So just while you turn in your Bibles, Luke 4, 14 to 21, I'm not sure what the page number is. I shall just pray while you, while you turn there. Father God, Lord, it's lovely to be here this evening. It's lovely to be together. And Father, I'm so touched already by the stories of some of the folk that you're touching. But Father, we just pray now that as we consider freedom, Lord, freedom for, for individuals that we work with, but freedom for ourselves, I just pray you'll open your word to us all. Amen. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. There's slight feedback here, isn't there? Is that okay? Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he wrote up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This morning we spent some time <coughs> excuse me, looking at um, um, Isaiah 61 and we looked backwards because the point of um, Isaiah 61, when it was written for the Jews, they, they certainly had a hope, they were certainly looking forward um, to the Saviour who was, w- w- was going to come. But you have to understand Isaiah 61 by looking backwards. So I'm going to touch on some of looking backwards, but I'm going to be looking forwards um, this evening to, to the fulfilment of, of, of what that means to us. And, and Fiona, of course, rang. Uh, sorry, read some of that scripture to us earlier. Uh, Much of what I'm talking about tonight, just as a reference point, is um, in this book called The Jubilee Gospel um, by um, a gentleman called Kim Tan. Um, I'm I'm, I'm pleased to say that it was a a, a congregational member called um, Richard Bray, that many people will know here, who um, pointed me in the direction of this book many, well, a few years back now, probably five or six years ago. I highly recommend it to you if you want to understand more about ministry and justice and how that fits with us in terms of our lives. And in that book, Kim Tan talks about something called the Nazareth Manifesto, which is the start of of Jesus' public ministry. And he makes it quite clear that every leader um, needs to start somewhere, needs to have a ministry, and needs to to have a a raison d'etre, if you like, needs to have a, a reason to explain what they're all about. And this was Jesus' moment. And you might think, well, okay, that's a helpful reference point. But it's more than that. It's the absolute defining point of what Jesus came for, why he came, and what it's about, and what he tried to achieve. In fact, what he did achieve. And if we don't understand the point of this scripture, we end up interpreting the whole Christian mission from a much narrower perspective. And indeed, many people will talk about the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 18, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And not wanting to put that scripture in any sense down, it is actually quite a narrow interpretation of the whole of Jesus' ministry. Because if we just look at that particular verse and we build our church and we build our, what we do and who we are around that scripture, it just narrows it down to evangelism, baptizing and discipling. They're important, but it's not the full picture. The point of Isaiah 61, and incidentally, most of the parables and most of the teachings of Jesus was far more comprehensive gospel than that. It's a social gospel, one that requires to bring about social justice. Jesus spent his whole ministry serving the lost, the poor, the dispossessed, the sick, the alien. And in that sense, fulfilled the law. Jesus said he fulfilled the law as laid down by Moses. And so we can think and we can look in the Old Testament and the, and the five traditional old books of the law, the Pentateuch as they'd be called, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those were the books that were read in the Sabbath, which Jesus um, went to when he went to the Sabbath. And they also read some books of the Torah, which were the teachings, the prophetic words as well. And every Jew would have had a really good understanding of what those studies were about. And they would have understood that they were required to do a number of things. I'm going to summarise some of those things for you. Number one, they were to observe what was called a tithing programme, if you like, every three years. So the Levites were looked after. The Levites had no land. But actually, it was for the poor. It was for the widows. It was for the orphans. And it was for the aliens. And every seven years, there was something you might call a Sabbath programme which included one year's holiday for everyone, the cancellation of every debt, and the release of all slaves. And then every 50 years, many of us will be much more familiar with what was called the Jubilee Programme, which was another year's holiday, further cancellation of debts, further release of the slaves, and most importantly, a return of property to those who've been dispossessed. It was a program of restoration so that a nation that had been slaves in Egypt extended the same freedom that God had given to them, to those in their own nation. Without this redistribution, the net result would have been social inequality. We've got plenty of that today in the world, haven't we? Don't have to look very far. Look at what's happening in Europe at the moment. And of course, look at our city, and you'll see the, 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 the death statistics, the life expectancy that changes just from one ward to another. It's shocking. Jesus' ministry was to complete the social justice that God has spoken about in the Old Testament through Moses. Isaiah saw this, and many of the prophets did too, and that's why they made reference to it. But Jesus had a problem. You can sum it up in one word. Romans. The land was occupied by the Romans. How can the poor be looked after? How can the debts be cancelled? How can the slaves be freed? How can the land be given back to the Israelites? This is how many people view Jesus, the messianic king who was going to come and overthrow the Romans. In Matthew chapters 5 to 7 we read about the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus talks about Jubilee in a new way. He talks about the principles of Jubilee rather than the law of Jubilee from the Old Testament. The application is different. It's a different time. 
So he talks about murder, now being about hating someone in your heart. Adultery, looking lustfully at a woman. An eye for an eye becomes turn the other cheek. If someone steals from you or sues you, let them take your cloak too. If you're forced to go a mile, go another one. The tithe is no longer enough. We simply steward, sorry, we simply steward all that God has entrusted to us. And I suppose you could say it's encapsulated in the great commandment, the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, 36 to 40. So the teachers, the, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they were trying to catch, catch Jesus out at this point. And one of them said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? It, they weren't just thinking about the Ten Commandments, the five books of the Old Testament, full of the law. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And perhaps they thought he was going to stop there, but he carried on. He said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, Jesus said. You can't merely love God and have no regard for your neighbor any more than you can love your neighbor and not sort out your relationship with God. Both would be hypocritical. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the early church explored ways to live like this in a similar way. And the Bible is clear about this, as are many, many other historical writers after the Bible was concluded. Let me read you a couple of passages from the Bible, though. Acts 2, 42 to 47. It's called The Fellowship of the Believers, a passage maybe we're familiar with. I'll just make a few comments as I read it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and we'll be sharing communion tonight. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And this was something Jesus brought in with his disciples, where they had a common purse. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Many read the scripture and say, well, Jesus said the poor would always be with us. But actually, the disciples, the early church, met that need. They saw the need. They didn't say, oh, well, the poor will always be with us. They actually did something about it. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I read that passage and I think, goodness, maybe if I saw many miraculous signs, maybe that would have encouraged me or enticed me into looking more than twice. But actually, I think if I met a group of believers who lived that closely together and looked after each other's needs, that would have been just as powerful. In Acts chapter 4, 32 to 37, it's headed, the believers share their possessions. All the believers were one in mind and heart. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. It wasn't communism. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned 
and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Nobody told Barnabas he had to do it. Nobody told him that, that, was, that he, he would be any different in terms of his relationship with God if he did or didn't do it. But he was motivated by love for his brothers and his sisters. It's challenging, isn't it? It may challenge your understanding of Christianity. It certainly challenge mine. It may challenge us in terms of how we think we should live, how we live with people around us. It may challenge us too about what we think is ours, what we think are our possessions, and how we should steward them. It goes right back to the Old Testament. Nobody owned anything. It was all God's. That's why God could deal with inequality. He could give it back to people as he, so, as he saw fit. So it's going to challenge our view on mission as well, isn't it? So let's finish then by thinking about what Jesus said. Matthew 25, 35 to 45. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. And the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you. And he will answer them, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. You see, we have brothers and sisters around us. We have brothers and sisters that God puts across our way. They're Jesus, brothers and sisters, so they must be mine too. Amen.